0: Today, on the Orthodox Ethos Podcast, Lesson 2 on the Truth of Our Faith on Holy Scripture. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Illumine our hearts, O Master, who us mankind with the pure light of the divine knowledge. Open the eyes of our mind to the understanding of the gospel teachings. And plus, also feel the blessed commandments and tremble down all current kind of desires. We may enter upon a spiritual manner of living, both thinking and doing such things will please unto thee. For thou art the illumination of our souls and bodies, O Christ our God. And the evening we send up glory with an name Father, and all holy, good and life, giving spirit, both now and ever and into ages of ages. Amen. E'vlogitosi Christe, O Theosimon, O pansofus, tu salis anadixas, Κατάπεμπαν σ' αυτούς πνεύμα το αγίον και δι' την Amen. All right, so let's go right to our um, Let's go right to our text. We're going to give you our screen so we can see what we got here. So on your right, you're going to see the PDF that I've created for this lecture, which you can download. If you have not already, go down and download that from the Patreon page you can have it in front of you, or you can follow along on the screen and download it later. On the left is the text of our Elder Cleopa book that we're going to be referencing tonight and you should be reading. Uh, that's made available to you a bit late today, forgive me about that. Um, but it's not a long chapter, just a few pages. We also have sent you a number of other texts. Uh, we've sent you this book here. Uh, this is uh, this booklet, I should say, or a text uh, by St. Justin Popovich. Just one second. Let me do that. And St. Eustine Popovich, how to, how to read the Bible and why? Somebody commented that doesn't really say the how. Uh, it does speak to the how, the spiritual preparation, the spiritual stance. I mean, that's what they mean by how. But I mean, it doesn't go into the practicalities of what order you should read the Scriptures. We can talk about that a bit. I think there's a question for that. And then we also have this text, which is phenomenal, patristic, contemporary patristic text. If you've not read about the life of the higher martyr St. Hilarion, uh, you can do that. I've got a link in one of the posts. Find that online. Very inspiring. He was uh, he was um, just a star in the in the firmament of, of patristic theology in the beginning of the century in Russia. A real example and exception. I, I, my sense is he was an exception in his day. Uh, he was a uh, uh, really a Kolivadi's father in Russia, I would say. The theology and the presentation that he has really follows the Athenites very closely. This is a phenomenal text, Holy Scripture in the Church. Anybody who's coming from the Reformed Protestant or, or any Protestant background uh, needs to read this text because he answers all of the dubious argumentation that's presented within Protestantism uh, against the Church, against the idea of the Church being the... Uh, uh, the, the context for Holy Scripture. We're going to talk a lot about that tonight. Uh, so this text is uh, was translated and published in Orthodox Word uh, years ago. It's online as a PDF. You can find it. And I'm going to be referencing that as well tonight. So we've got a number of texts that we're going to be looking at. But we're going to start with... Where did it go? Uh, here. We're going to start with our PDF. So get that in front of you. And here on the right, you can see it. Uh, We've got a picture of a uh, manuscript from uh, Mount Athos here. Uh, I think it's from Mount Athos. It is uh, showing the Lord's uh, ascension. So we've done Lesson 1. We're on Lesson 2. Next week we're going to be on Holy Tradition, Lesson 3, and uh, and so forth. Uh, And here we are with our outline. Let's look at our outline. So just some introductory remarks before we get into our quotations and and commentary on, on our text. So this is going to be a bit. Uh, first of all, our you know one-hour lecture. It's going to be hit and miss. It's not going to be a systematic examination of every topic, obviously, because we're talking about a number of topics every every week. We're going to be hitting one topic, and we're going to try to hit some of the most important aspects, uh, some top you know points to be made about the topic. Holy Scripture tonight, which will enable you all uh, to to better you know, better equip you to understand uh in in light of uh one second here. Yeah. yeah. Uh, stay on page. Yeah, one second. That's not what I wanted. Yeah, I am that down there. Okay. Um so um lost my train of thought. Uh the aim here is to equip you in the context of heterodoxy, uh, and to answer answer your uh, uh, you know your questions and your issues. And 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 a lot of you are coming from uh, from Protestant backgrounds, so you, you're going to be having questions, perhaps, for that if you're an inquirer or if you're a catechumen. Uh, and so. Uh, you know we 're trying to hit those 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 points most specifically uh, but we 'll talk about anything that you want to talk about in your in question and answer time so um, let 's talk first of all the context and the place of holy scripture, which is in the temple physically where we where we have it in the church, which is very instructive uh, I think this is both symbolic and and, in, and extremely important um, in terms of uh Our theology it goes along with our whole our whole understanding and our theology uh you know the the center of the temple is the holy altar, and on the center of the at the center of the holy altar uh we have the holy scriptures and uh it is uh, uh, not only uh, placed there but the entire the entirety of the divine services is made up of, for the most part, scriptural passages. Hundreds and hundreds of them make up, uh, whether they be from the Psalms or they be from the Scriptures um, or they be from the the readings from the Old Testament or the New Testament or the Gospel, the Epistle. Uh, The Orthodox worship and life and prayers is immersed in Holy Scripture. So that's the first thing that we have to point out here is that this is the context the worship of God and the teaching of the people of God in the temple, this is the context in which Holy Scripture is properly understood. And outside of this context, it is not understood. And it's really that simple. And we have witnesses coming back, all the way going back into the ancient church. Uh, One of the most notable is Tertullian, who is quoted by our uh, Saint Hilarion. And he, he says very clearly that Scripture does not belong to those outside the church, in particular to the heretics or the heterodox in our day. It does not belong to them. It is not a book that belongs to them. It doesn't make sense outside of the context of the church. So we see that literally with the temple, at the center of the temple is the Scripture. uh, And we see that in terms of our prayer and our worship, and we see that in terms of our theology because there's so many presuppositions for the understanding of holy scripture uh the presuppositions for entering the spiritual life are obviously going to be presuppositions for understanding the scripture so if you are not if you have not entered the spiritual life and you cannot do that outside the communion of god in the church you cannot do that outside of the mysteries you cannot do that without preparation faith repentance initiation therefore the book that's called holy scripture is a closed book when it's taken out of the organic blessed context its function its purpose is lost uh just as if you are in the world you can clearly understand if you are a uh seventh grader uh, this is very you know not not the greatest of examples but it's it's similar if you are a seventh grader you're going to be reading books for the seventh grade, maybe the eighth grade at the most, or even the ninth grade, but certainly not for college or a master's program or a PhD. There are presuppositions for entering into that level of education understanding, and you would need to be be accepted into that that context in order to then begin the, the process of learning. Another way to understand this would be in science, scientists, uh, read scientific material because they've been prepared and they have the prepos- presuppositions to understand that material. If, a, if someone who's never been initiated doesn't understand the terminology, isn't familiar experientially with the context, has not done experiments and all the rest, enters in to the uh, 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 the laboratory or the, uh, the discussion with the scientists, he's not going to understand. So this is the same thing with holy scripture. Holy scripture has a definite context, and that is the place where deification, theosis, is happening, or is on that we're on the path to enter into that reality. This spectrum of experience from purification, illumination, deification—that's the spiritual context for understanding holy scripture, which is given and a fruit of communion. It is by the, it is given to us through those who've been initiated, who've been in communion, who've been deified, glorified, who've seen God like Moses or the Apostle Paul, our Lord himself, the apostles, all the prophets. What we're we're reading is their experience of the divine, the divine humanity. And therefore that's the scripture comes out of that reality, that, that communion, that union. And without that, it is distorted. It cannot be understood, it cannot be entered into. So it's very, very basic. We're going to talk about a lot about that today. So the other thing we need to say here is that Scripture is read with the church. Somebody asked, I think, in one of the questions. Uh, yeah, well, something like, you know, how do I read the Bible? Well, you read the Bible with the church. You read the Bible with the church. Uh, everybody going over there and looking at the, um, the poll, People, people doing the poll over there? I'm, I'm curious to see if uh, if people are doing that. Do that over there. And let me know. Uh, let me just quickly bring this up a little bit so I can see. Yeah. Um, let me know. All right. Good. Good. Thank you very much. There's already 45 votes. Good. So people are checking it out. And so reading reading the scriptures is not at all difficult in the orthodox church we don't have to you don't have to think much about it we we go with what the church is reading on a daily basis we can also have in addition to that and it's good to have an addition to that our own you know program of reading the scriptures we can because uh, there's not going to be everything is everything is not read every day obviously there's going to be texts from the old testament there's going to be the book of revelation is not read in the church so, we, it, it is good to have a, a Bible study along with that, with the Holy Fathers. Another thing that's presupposed here and understanding and entering in is that we're reading along with the Holy Fathers. When we read Scripture alone, we're, we're, we're essentially taking into our hand a, a very uh, deep, multi leveled, multi layered uh, manual without a guide. And without initiation, without the Holy Fathers guiding us, uh, it, it makes it much harder for us to enter into the meaning of Scripture. We, we It's also a stance of pride, it's a stance of arrogance to, to not read with the Holy Fathers. We should run to the Holy Fathers, this is why we have the commentaries, uh, because they're going to be speaking from their own uh, experience of God, but also they're going to be speaking from the experience of all the saints, because they're going to be presenting the, live, the writings of the saints much of the time. For instance, the commentary of Blessed Theophylact of Bulgaria, the great, the great uh, uh, interpreter of Scripture who, who took the ancient tradition, especially St. John Chrysostom, and represents that uh, in a more systematic way, uh, very highly recommended. Exists in English from St. Chrysostom Press. Uh, there's, I think, all four volumes of this. There's definitely all four volumes of the Gospels. There's uh, several uh, volumes of the Epistles, the Apostle Paul. So that's an example of something that we that all of us should take advantage of. We should buy those, uh, have access to those. Another, another example would be um, St. Nikolai of Nietzsche with the prologue. He's doing a lot of uh from the lives of the saints but also from scripture he's done a lot of interpretation so we're going to be reading with the holy fathers we're going to be reading with the church and the feasts and the fasts and that's how we're going to approach scripture it's always going to be in the context of the church so let's go and look a little bit at our text uh can you give me a little feedback how many of you were able to read uh the or have already read perhaps because you have the book uh the chapter on holy scripture by elder cleopa maybe just comment in the in the comment section there uh, if it if i know it was sent pretty late uh, but maybe some of you made it made it too it's very it's obviously uh, of all the texts i sent you it's the most basic the most uh, uh you know easy f- straightforward I, and of course he's answering the questions uh, great he's answering the questions of protestants essentially right he has he has romanians in front of him but they're protestants uh, there are uh, Orthodox who've either been affected by Protestantism or actually Pro- Romanians who become Protestant or trying to come back, uh, looking to the church. And so these are questions that a lot of us who are coming from Protestantism are going to be it's gonna be applicable to us. But so he goes through in the book here. Let me get my version as well, and you know, he answers some of these basic, really important questions. Well, one of the th- things I want to point, go to jump to is is actually in the last part of the chapter, and uh, it's 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 a pretty basic question. It's very important, and for those coming from Protestant obviously, it's going to be very important. And that is, question is: Is Holy Scripture sufficient in order to guide man to salvation? Uh, we're going to give this to one of the questions as well, but let's just stay stay focused here for the time being. And the, the elder says, "No, it is not sufficient." And that's kind of a jarring, I think, uh, for a lot of Protestants, that was going to be a jarring response. He, he, did, he didn't, didn't waste a breath there to go right to the... Uh, uh, let me go back, go down to that. For those of you who don't have... Um, there it is. For those of you who don't have the text in front of you, you can see it on screen here, hopefully. Hopefully it's coming through. So is Holy Scripture sufficient? No, it's not sufficient. Uh, and there's a lot of reasons for that. We're going to talk also what Father Florowski has to say, uh, but immediately, it's not sufficient because it wasn't always in this form, obviously. One of the most potent arguments against the Protestant version and Protestant understanding of Scripture, of course, is just history. (laughs) Just knowing the history of the first 300 years, uh, just knowing the history of the first 300 years, you immediately understand that the version, the understanding that most Protestants have about Scripture is impossible because we didn't have the canon of scripture that they they say is, uh, uh, you know, for the most part, say is infallible, et cetera. And then we have to have that, and this is the Bible, and we have to have this in front of us, and without this, uh, we're lost, and all the rest. Well, we didn't have that for two, three hundred years in the form that we have today. Certainly for the first hundred and 150 years, they were just letters written. And of course, the apostles didn't write the letter that they were writing. They're writing the Corinthians, St. Paul, or they you know, they're Writing to Jerusalem or wherever they were writing, and they didn't write this thinking, "Oh, this will be now a part of the New Testament." Right? They were writing to the people. It was a pastoral, theological, uh, spiritual uh, text uh, dealing with the life of the church. It was in the church for the church, uh, directed the people of the church. And this whole, yeah, the whole sola scriptura and all the rest. I'm not, I'm not, frankly, all that well versed in it. I didn't come out of that uh, all that much, but the little I know, it's 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 pretty obvious that um, just a good knowledge of the first 300 years of the church and the canon in particular is going to make you uh, uh, leave Protestantism pretty quickly because they've got it wrong in a big way. And so the elder doesn't have any problems saying, no, Scripture's not sufficient. Well, because for much of the first part of the history of the people, of God in the Old Testament and the people of God in the New Testament, there was no such thing as the canon of Scripture. And so therefore, it wasn't from the beginning. And it's not the only authentic source uh, that people ran to, to to come to understand how to be saved, who Christ is, and all the rest. Uh, and this is another big mistake that happens in Western Christianity is they talk about the sources of uh, of doctrine or uh, of revelation, and they talk about tradition and scripture as if they're. And the Roman Catholicism says, "Well, these two are these are like the two pillars." Uh, for the most part, Protestantism, of course, talks about scripture. It, it, both of them are, mis, are 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 more or less mistaken. All of that is in the context of the church. Tradition is the general term for the action, the life of the Holy Spirit in the church, and of course it. It's both uh, that which is handed down orally, that which is handed down experientially uh, from person to person, generation to generation, experientially in the church, and that which is written down, the source is the Holy Spirit in the church. Uh, so uh, they're, of course, inseparable. There's no opposition, and there's no, uh, there's never was a problem with this really until Protestantism eru- erupted in the. And there was a distortion in understanding in the West uh, after the schism. So in the Orthodox Church, this is a non-issue. This is really uh, uh, not a problem. And we have, of course, uh, unfortunately, been affected by Western narratives on this topic. Uh, St. Hilarion talks about this in the text, that in his day, he said uh, something like, we are hopelessly uh, confused in terms of... Understanding the in terms of the sources and how we understand, we've been affected by the West. Um, let me see if I can see that. Yeah, not, not so important, but you can read that in there. And he's 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 um, criticizing, of course, this uh, distortion <coughs> that happened in R- Russian Orthodox theology uh, from about the 8- 1700s onward. When a lot of uh, a lot of Western uh, approaches to uh, education and catechism were adopted in in, in Russia, uh, kind of a uh, Western captivity, as Father George Florovsky called it, in terms of our theology. So let's see let's see what what Father Florovsky has to say. He puts a lot of more uh, let's say flesh on the whole topic, whereas this discussion between the Elder and his inquirer. Is pretty basic and to the point, uh, which is of course very helpful as well. The different different contexts, but let's see. Let's see what Father George has to say. He says we cannot assert that Scripture is self-sufficient, and this is not because it is incomplete or inexact or has any defects, but because Scripture is, in its very essence, does not lay claim to self-sufficiency. Another another uh, really uh, nail in the coffin of the Protestant approach, uh, if they. Claim scripture is infallible and everything is there and scripture is necessary. Scripture itself doesn't teach that. Uh, If we declare scripture to be self-sufficient, we only expose it to subjective, arbitrary interpretation, thus cutting it away from its sacred source. Scripture is given to us in tradition, in other words, by the Holy Spirit in the church. It is vital, the vital, crystallizing center. The church is the body of Christ, stands mystically first and is fuller than scripture. So that's a point that, that uh, St. Laurent makes again and again. <clears throat> this does not limit Scripture, cast shadows on it, <clears throat> but truth is revealed to us not only historically. Christ appeared and still appears before us, not only in the Scriptures. He unchangeably and unceasingly reveals himself in the Church, in his own body, in the times of the early Christians. The Gospels were not written and could not be the sole source of knowledge. I want to point something else out that, and help maybe uh, just my own contribution here gathered, of course, from other people, uh, but kind of repackaged. And that is the following. When we think of the Old Testament, we think of a a long history of the people of God. And included in that is all kinds of different books, right? There's there's wisdom literature, there's historical texts, there's all kinds of things. When we think about the New Testament, the time of the New Covenant, we for unknown reasons, are very much limited to the apostles and at the time of the apostles, which is quite mistaken because just as in the Old Testament, the Lord was with his people throughout this whole period and and, and guided them, and there were many, many prophets and and charismatic, uh, spirit-inspired teachers of the people. The same is true throughout the history of the church. The New Covenant, the New Testament is exists now and it, it, it began in the first coming and it ends in the second coming. All of the2,000 year history of the church is the New Covenant, the New Testament. Uh, all the saints, the writers, the fathers uh, could very well have been included in a canon of the New Testament, a, 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 script, a canon of God's revelation. God is revealing himself continually in the church. And he's inspiring the saints and the fathers again and again, just like he did in the, with the prophets in the Old Testament. I think this is how we need to think about things and not limit it at all to just the period of the apostolic period or the post-apostolic period or even the patristic period. There's also the, the Western approach, the Roman Catholic approach, that we have the patristic period ending in the 7th century, 8th century, with uh, the time of uh, the, the uh, St. John Damascus in the East, etc. This is totally arbitrary. And not at all true. And uh, the precious period has not ended. It still exists. It's still going on, and it, never, it will not end until the second coming. We will always have holy fathers with us. They will always be guiding us and teaching us. Uh, and so this is how the this is how things are in the in the true experience of God and in the Church. Um, yeah. Yeah, let uh, somebody let Han know if that's the case. I don't. I hope not. Sometimes this happens. There are different a variety of internet connections, so it's oftentimes it's a local issue. Yeah. So that's just uh, to reorient and rethink how we think about uh, the the old and new testaments and the people of God and the revelation of God. It's not at all limited to one period or the first period. So let's really drive that home. In the times of the early Christians, the gospels were not written and could not be the sole source of knowledge. We said that the church acted according to the spirit of the gospel. And what is more, the gospel came to, the, to life in the church, in the Holy Eucharist. Really, really important point. Uh, it is in the context of the divine liturgy in the Eucharist that the church and the gospel come alive, that that's where they're experienced. You see why what we're living through in the last six months we're going to see this point and we're going to make it again and again because it's everywhere. Uh, You can see why it's so jarring what we've lived through and what we're living through and still to this day in in many places. It's absolutely jarring and and, 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 and unprecedented for the Orthodox Church to shut itself down and not have uh, the people of God not have access to the Holy Eucharist. That's the context where we understand the gospel. It's the context where we experience God. It's the context of everything. Uh, in fact, in the ancient church, and in many places this is happening, uh, some mysteries are again being celebrated in the context of the Eucharist. So even the mysteries were all in the context of the Eucharist. The baptism was in the divine liturgy. Marriage was in the divine liturgy. Uh, the Euc- Even the unction service, it's clear that it's essentially... Uh, the, the, when you look at the text, it's Orthros, it's, it's, it's Matins, and the Divine Liturgy, essentially. I mean, this is the context for even the Unction Service. Uh, we have, in the middle of the Unction Service, we say, blessed is the kingdom. So there are many, many, many witnesses in our liturgical tradition to show that everything centered and revolved around the Eucharist, and of course, the reading of the Scriptures, the understanding of the Scriptures, that's the context. That's the context. It's so, so important. Uh, for everyone who is, you know, coming from a Protestant background, of course, to understand that. But also, all of us in the Church, I don't think maybe we understand that We're affected by Protestantism and the way they, they approach scriptures. We we have our little Bible studies. We have this phenomenon in, in modern Greece. I'm, I'm not sure about it, Russia as much. But in modern Greece, we have this phenomenon of the, the brotherhoods and sisterhoods uh, that were pretty heavily affected by uh, Western models Um uh, And the uh, we have this phenomenon of of people gathering together in houses with lay people and having Bible studies. Now, you know, there's nothing wrong with studying the Bible and with other Christians per se, but it's clearly something that came from the West and the Protestant context. I don't think you can. I don't think you'll see that before the 20th century in Greece. If you go back to the Turkish period. I really don't. I've never heard of it happening like that. It's not. It's not the kind of thing that happens. Uh, and so I think this is an, this is an impact, a, a, a kind of Westernization of orthodoxy, um, because you know the context of everything is the Eucharist, but it's also the parish, it's the priest, it's the family there. Now you, there's there are certain issues, of course, that uh, this is trying to. Uh, to to pick up the slack because the parishes are massive now in the cities and there's really not a lot of ability for one or two or three priests to be pastoral with thousands of people or hundreds and hundreds of people that, um, so it's, there's a practical aspect and this, and this justified, but I'm wondering if, if we, we need to be, you know, more vigilant and find ways that are more consistent with our own holy tradition and not easily fall into the traps of looking at scripture and studying it because in that context of opening up sitting down reading and then commenting on that's not the context in which the scripture was born and and read and understood it was always and i can tell you as a priest my own personal experience it's very different and i've had clear clear experiences where when I give a homily after the gospel in the divine liturgy, uh, I stand back many times after that, that sermon and I say, did I say that? Did that come out of my mouth? When did I, where did I understand that? How did I put that together? It's clearly the context in the Eucharist is it's, it, it's, it, it's grace-filled and it's blessed uh, and it's meant to happen. And in fact, uh, this is a point we should also make. That explanation of the gospel is not optional. It's a part of the Divine Liturgy. It's a part of the Divine Liturgy. It should be there. St. John Chrysostom is very clear and is very uh, strict in telling the priest, you do not not give a, a sermon. It's not acceptable. You must give a sermon in the middle of the Divine Liturgy. So um, the uh, that's the context. And it's very different for me Person as a priest, to give a homily after the gospel in the Divine Liturgy, many times without being able to really prepare properly because of my my programs, my schedules, you know, really uh, booked. And so many times I go uh, with, with prayer and with a little bit of preparation, but relying on the grace of God. And that experience and that reality, that communication, where everybody is gathered in, in the midst of the Eucharistic uh, Divine Liturgy, uh, is very different than if I just sat down, in my chair with a bunch of friends or, you know, especially as a layman uh, and not necessarily given this task by the church. And I start commenting on and I start reading the scripture. I think it's a very different experience. So have that in mind. Uh, I'm sorry people are having some technical difficulties there. Yeah, we've talked about that, Mark. I think in uh, during the survival course, Daniel nine twenty seven. Uh, I think I even quoted that, or, or I remember reading that in any case. I can't remember if I quoted it. But it's definitely a pretty amazing uh, application there. I think it is very interesting. Um, finally, Father Florovsky in this particular passage, and this is a—I a, a, think it's a good book. I think you could— Really get a lot out of it if you want to. You can find a lot of that online. Bible Church Tradition, Eastern Orthodox perspective view. Father George Florovsky, uh, he brings a lot to the table in terms of correcting a lot of our uh, misconceptions uh, today. In the in the Christ of the Holy Eucharist, Christians learn to know the Christ of the Gospels, and so his image became vivid to them. So there you go. That's uh, our first point. Let's move on and go on to our second. Uh, which is phenomenal. It's in your, uh, on the right side of the screen here. It's not uh, in uh, Elder Cleopa. I'm going to read it, and then we'll talk about it. F- uh, f- earth-shattering for a lot of us uh, who are not familiar with the tradition, perhaps. It were indeed, he, he begins, this is St. John Chrysostom beginning his commentary on the Gospel of Matthew. Okay, Very first commentary of the whole of the New Testament. And here's what he says. It were indeed meat for us, not at all to require the aid of the written word, but to exhibit a life so pure that the grace of the Spirit should be instead of books to our souls, and that as these are inscribed with ink, even so should our hearts be with the Spirit. But since we have utterly put away from us this grace, come, let us at any rate embrace the second best course. He's talking about Scripture. All right, so he's saying, look, We really shouldn't have to go to the scriptures. It's not how it was with the men of old, with the great prophets and apostles. They were speaking to the word face to face. He goes on, he says, For that the former was better, God has made manifest, both by his words and by his doings. Since Noah and unto Abraham, and unto his offspring, and unto Job, and unto Moses too, He discoursed not by writings, but himself by himself, finding their pure mind, their mind pure. But after the whole people of the Hebrews had fallen into the very pit of wickedness, then and thereafter was a written word and tables, maybe that's tablets, I'm not sure, and the admonition which is given by these. And this one may perceive was the case, not of the saints in the Old Testament only, but also of those in the New. For neither to the apostles did God give anything in writing. This is also a point made uh, repeatedly by uh, St. Hilarion in his wonderful text. Very complete presentation on the topic. The Lord never wrote down anything except in the sand on one occasion uh, when they had taken the uh, the uh, prostitute in, were uh, threatening to stone her. Uh, he bows, he bends down, uh, and, and he writes something in the sand. And Saint Nikolai, by the way, says this is the sins of those who are present. Right. And so then he, he says those who without sin uh, cast the first stone. That's really the only time in Scripture that we see him writing down anything, as far as I as far as I can remember. He doesn't write down anything in terms of giving us a book like other prophets of other religions have done. So the Lord wrote down nothing. Now that should be something that's really quite remarkable for all of us to consider, especially our Protestant friends. But instead of written words, he promised that he would give them the grace of the Spirit. For he, says our Lord, shall bring all things to your remembrance and that you may learn that this was far better. Hear what he says brother the prophet. I will make a new covenant with you, putting my laws into their mind and in their heart, I will write them that they shall be taught all taught of God, taught of God, by God, from God, immediately. And Paul, too, pointing out the same superiority, said that they had received the law not in tablets or tables, tablets of stone, but in fleshly tablets of the heart. But since, in process of time, they made shipwreck some with regard to doctrines, others as to life and manners. There was again need that they should put it in remembrance by the written word. So this is very remarkable, brothers and sisters. Why did they write it down? Because of our weakness, because of, 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 of the falling away, because of heresy. The people of God who lived in the spirit of God, the apostles, they didn't need to write it down. They wrote it down in order to 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 be able to teach the people and protect them from heresy. But that's a secondary thing, he says here. Reflect then how great an evil it is for us who ought to live so purely as not even to need written words, but to yield up our hearts as as books to the Spirit. Now that we have lost that honor and have come to have need of these, to fail again in duly employing even this second remedy, So he says, now, look, you've fallen away from the first, which you should have had. We should have had as Christians. And now we have the second, which is God's economy for us, to have the scriptures, to have it written down, and yet we still don't read them. For if it be a blame to stand in need of written words and not to have brought down on ourselves the grace of the Spirit, consider how heavy the charge of not choosing to profit even after this assistance but rather treating what is written with neglect as if it were cast forth without purpose and at random. And so bringing down upon ourselves our punishment with increase. It's uh it's pretty amazing words, uh, that I don't know if any of us have heard this. Many of us heard this. Has anybody read this commentary? I'm just curious. How many of you have read this commentary and it's not new for you? Uh, I, frankly, I discovered it pretty late because I, this particular passage I discovered pretty late. It was, it was, uh, it was uh, uh, I think you know, just a, a gem when I did discover it a few years ago. But that no such effect may ensue. Let us give strict heed unto the things that are written, and let us learn how the old law was given to the one on the one hand, and how the other, the new covenant. All right. So this is the the the. the the God-ordained, the God-ordained is not to have need of any scripture, but to have face-to-face. And this is, of course, what the saints had in every age, right? The saints enjoyed this, and then they passed on this experience. This is what the saints have in every age. They, 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 they don't simply read the scriptures. They enter into the life of those who, who in the scriptures and those who wrote the scriptures. And this is the aim for all of us in the church. <laughs> All right, let's hear a little bit of Saint, uh, just a really quick quote from this wonderful text by St. Hilarion that I think is applicable here. Holy Scripture is one of the aspects of the common grace-filled life of the Church. And outside the Church, there cannot be any Holy Scripture in the true sense of the word. Here he comes and he says a little bit differently what Tertullian said and what St. John and others have said in the past uh but it's important uh, that we see it from different angles and here he says it's just one aspect it's just one aspect it's not, it's not it's it it's it actually reveals to us what poverty so many christians have come to considering that they can you know take the bible sit down and that's their for the most part that's their encounter with god you know many 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 protestants many people have come to this Uh, Point where there's no no mysteries, there's no Eucharist in their lives, there's no uh, true church in their life, and all this you know the question of purification, limited none of that is possible. It's just them and the Bible. I mean, this shows you here what poverty that is, what tragedy it is. Uh, But more more to the point, it shows you that they actually aren't they cannot encounter the person of Christ in that way. Is that is that clear? Is that understood? Because we often talk about well, we're common Christians. This is this is where we enter into the whole ecumenistic perception of things. And we talk about having we're Christians, we have a common experience, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. No, it's impossible to have a common experience. It's impossible for all of us if we do not have the experience in the church of the grace-filled life of the church to have an experience of the person of Christ. What we can do. Is we can we can it's like we're looking, uh, not entering into a reality, but looking at it from afar ex- in a one dimension, like a painting. That experience we can have for Christ, but that's not that's not an experience of Christ. That's a, that's a knowledge about Christ. So the person who sits down and, and studies Scripture without the experience of the Church, which is described in Scripture, with which is a presupposition for understanding and entering into the meaning of Scripture. <laughs> That person is still on the level of the horizontal level. It's, uh, he's on the level of learning about Christ, and he, uh, he cannot enter into the life of Christ. Therefore, he cannot really come to know Christ. Right? If we hear all about someone, we might feel like, we, well, I feel like I, really, I already knew you. But until we meet them and really experience them, we don't know them, do we? We don't really know them. Uh, it's a totally different experience. And this is the this is the sad reality. But guess what? It's not just a sad reality of many Protestants. It's a sad reality of many Orthodox, because there are many Orthodox who, although they were baptized, chrismated, and communed, don't live the life of the church. Don't continue in the life of the church. And then there's also this phenomenon. And I, I've given a talk on this. I think it's called "Going Deeper." From the horizontal to the vertical line, vertical vertical plane, and and that is that this is a phenomenon among many converts. So this is something we need to point out to all of those who are in the talk, in the lesson, and coming from you know recent converts or inquirers, that this is possible for many of us who who've come to the church, uh, and we've come to the church. Many of us by reading ourselves into the church, right? We've come to the church by learning all about church history uh, and you know and that's fine but that is not the life of the church that's the experience of the life of Christ that's not a personal yet immersion into the life of Christ that's still the horizontal that's still the rational and still uh, uh, uh on the level of learning about god and again in the text by saint Hilarion, there's so much good material on this problem and this 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 error uh, that that people have including orthodox christians so let's I point you again to that important text. If you can take the time and read it, I think you'll be greatly benefited. By the way, this is uh, when I when I, I highly recommend when you read something that this is the kind of note taking that you do, right? Otherwise, it won't go into your brain. Can you all can you all see that? Right. So you're going go to you're, you're going to go through. You're going to you're going to do whatever you need to do, however you want to do it. But don't let leave the page white. That page should not be white when you're done. You should have boxes around the passages that are most important, commentary in the in the margin, uh, arrows, whatever you think. That's what you need to do when you encounter these texts and really want to enter into them uh, and and and, and uh, understand them. All right, one last quote from Father George. Uh, I think we have, and then we have one from Saint Eustine. Uh, another. Great quote. Uh, Another great text, by the way. We'll talk a little bit about that maybe in a minute. Father George Florovsky. only within the Church does Scripture live. It is quite false to limit the source of teaching to Scripture and tradition and to separate tradition from Scripture as only an oral testimony or teaching of the Apostles. In the first place, both Scripture and tradition were given only within the Church. Only in the church have they been received in the fullness of their sacred value, meaning in them is contained the truth of divine revelation and a truth which lives in the church. And I've noticed I've, I've put everything here in italics and in, in, in blue because these are the key words that we, we really have to understand. The ex, this experience of the church has not been exhausted either in Scripture or in tradition. It is only reflected in them. I think it's a very, very good way to put it because people often think about it as kind of one-dimensional, like we have tradition, it comes down to it, it's just a handy down of, of, of teachings or something, you know, but not, not at all. It's, it's an experience that has to be entered into if we're going to understand all the tradition. Therefore, only within the Church does Holy scripture, the Scripture live and become vivified. Only within the Church is it revealed as a whole and not broken up into separate texts, commandments, and aphorisms. You know, if anybody who's experienced Holy Week and reading the Scriptures, reading the whole experience there with Peter and his denial, and Judas, and all of that that, that drama. It always strikes me every year that this, the Scriptures are alive. They're describing our, our state. They're describing our situation. We are living out Holy Week, not as an event that happened at some point in the past. But as a, as a reality, that happens continually in the world. Scripture is alive, and we enter into it, and we see ourselves. We we need to if we don't see ourselves in Scripture, we're not reading Scripture in the right way. We are Peter who denies the Lord, or hopefully repents. We are uh, at times the Pharisees. We are we, we see all of these people in our lives. We can see that. The, Judas and the, and the Pilots, and we see our Lord in the midst of us, and Him being betrayed. We see all that in our lives. You see, when you read Scripture, it's not about at that time. Now we begin many times and we say at that time our Lord, but actually it's the keros in Greek. Right? There's two words in Greek to describe time. One is chronos. And that is the time. The you know what time is it? It's six o'clock at night. That's that. That's that kind of time, right? Then there's okero, 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 Actually, the term in modern Greek is both for the weather and for this theological meaning. I'm trying to explain. It's 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 the time of the kingdom. It's the it's essentially the eternal plane in the temporal. It's the ever present divine reality. It's it's the, when we say in, in the divine, uh, the, the big feast, we say today Christ was born. Today he was hung on the cross. Today he resurrected, right? Cimeron in Greek, right? That is that ever-present, that that feast that we're celebrating, the divine liturgy itself is happening right now, always. It's always happening. There's a, there's a present of the presence of eternity in time. That's okerox, that's right. Uh, and the, uh, the 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 life of the church is this in the world. It pierces time and it gives us essentially not just a peek into, into eternity. We experience eternity. We go we we rise into heaven, and we experience God uh, again and again in the liturgy. But throughout our life, we can see the presence of God in the lives of the of the church in the lives of the Christians, and this. Uh, this makes the, historical, the chronological difference between now and 2,000 years ago disappear. Right? We're immediately, that's all present. So there's a, it's, all, it's all one. It, it, time just kind of evaporates before the presence of God. There's, and that's why you can see, you know, you can see in the lives of the saints all these ama- amazing things happening because in God, those limitations that we have in our fallen world don't exist. <clears throat> just I'm, I'm reminded of a story told by Bishop uh Athanasius of Lemisou about Saint Porphyrios. and i mean this is a this is a something that is just mind boggling but I think it 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 makes sense in this context <coughs> he says he tells a story about a an abbess of a monastery and when he told the story the abbess was still alive twenty five years later twenty years later um if you don't know who Bishop Athanasius of Lemisou is he's if you've ever read the book um the uh, what's it called? The Mountain of Silence, I think it's called. It's a story uh, written by a Kyriakos uh, something or other. Uh, I forget his last name, but he's a, he's a Cypriot in, a, in, in, in Greece, in America. And he goes back to Cyprus, and at the time, Bishop Athanasius was still, I think, the abbot of the monastery there. They call him Father Maximus in the book. In any case, he tells a story, uh, not in that book, but in one of his homilies, Kiriakos Markidis, right, that's, that's good, thank you. Uh, he tells a story, the following story. There was an abbess who had come with his, her sisters in a bus to see elder Porfirios. And she, she, time had, you know, they spent a lot of time there and it was really late, it was like, like eight o'clock at night, it was summer, it was getting dark. And she said, you know, Yeroda, we really need to go, we need to go. And she was, you know, very agitated. And he kept kept her there. He kept her there. He wouldn't let her go. And she wanted to leave. And um, finally, I think after a long time, I don't know, it came up, maybe an hour or two, I don't know, it was very dark, it was late. uh, He lets them go and he says, don't worry, you'll be there in no time. Uh, Don't worry about it, you're going to be fine. But... And they said, you know, by your prayers, uh, Elder. We arrived back at our monastery, you know, midnight or one in the morning, whatever it is. And um, so they they set off quite late. They travel, and by the, by the grace of God, when they arrived, it was ten minutes later, even though they were three hours three hours away. So, how do you explain that? you don't you cannot explain it of course there's no explanation for these kind of things the, the grace of god that visits um the through the saints and their prayers and there are so many stories of elder perfidios that are just mind boggling and and you know super rational uh so so this is the time of the kingdom right it's it's, it's when all of the the limitations are done away with in the lives of the saints Uh, Things that are impossible happen. They know about the future. They know about things that are happening on the other side of the earth. They know all these things because, of course, God knows all these things, and they're in God. And so these things are... are, are. This is the life of the church that Scripture lives in this context. You understand Scripture in this context. It is a closed book. I'm going to say it many times. It is a closed book to non-initiated people, right? Protestants... Roman Catholics Monophysites whatever it is the group of that's not in the life of the church it's not initiated those secularized Orthodox Christians who do not do not struggle do not fulfill the presuppositions to enter into the grace of God it's a closed book it's a closed book to all of us insofar as we don't live that life right so there in in you can see that the, the this life of the of the of the church in the lives of the saints par excellence, right? When we talk about the church, mostly and for mostly we mean the saints, right? Uh, In the sense of the life of the church, the experience of the church, insofar as we draw near to that experience in our life, then we can talk about from our experience of the life of the church. If we don't have that experience, we talk about the lives of the saints and their experience of the life of the church. That's how it is. That's how it always was. That's how it was with Moses in the Old Testament. He came down with his face. He had to wear a veil. He had seen God. right? He can speak from experience about who God is. The life of Moses, read it by St. Gregory of Nyssa and and see about how the saint sees and understands the life of Moses as a kind of uh, archetype, etc. So anyway, we're getting off topic. This means that Scripture has been given in tradition, but not in the sense that it can be understood only according to the dictates of tradition, or that it is the written record of historical, traditional, oral teaching. Scripture needs to be explained. It is revealed in theology, true theology, experience of God. That's what true theology is. This is possible only through the medium of the living experience of the Church. This is exactly what we just said about the saints. Father George is saying it in an academic kind of you know, uh, complicated way the easy way to say that is in the lives of the saints that's where it's seen and that's 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 how we learn how to understand scripture and you know what another way to understand scripture is in the life of the prayers of the church so the more you know and you understand you enter into the hymnography of the church which is drenched in scripture and expressing so much of the ethos of the church the more you're going to draw near to the experience of the saints, because that's where they were. They were in the worship of the church night and day. All right, last quote before we open it up for questions. Uh, St. Eustyn Popovich, I love this quote. I used it in my uh, class with my my seminary students when I was at Holy Trinity Seminary uh, as an active professor, uh, you know, at the school. Um, And it's really important. Uh, He says here, of course, it's read the whole thing. This is just a little snippet. Read the whole uh, pamphlet that I sent you. Here are the words of the Savior apply. Whoever is willing to do it will understand that this teaching is from God. Whoever is willing to do it will understand that this teaching is from God. Do it so that you may understand. This is the fundamental rule of Orthodox exegesis. All right, so you enter in. Experience the life of the church. Experience it, and then you will understand. Uh, which verse? Oh yes, uh huh. The verse from Saint from John seven seventeen. The fundamental rule of orthodox is Jesus. You know, orthodox is Jesus presupposes the experience of what you're what you're reading. So again, even for the Orthodox, it's a closed book insofar as we don't have the experience. Of the saints,